All right, welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, coming at you from the mobile recording studio. That's right, the Ram 1500 back and at it again on a Friday. Well, at least that's when I'm recording it. You know, today I actually got some work in out at the family farm. Uh, that is 18 acres, wooded property, not in a great neighborhood, decent amount of hunting pressure, and... I don't know. I can say I've had one picture of a buck over 130 in about four years. And uh, kind of a big reason I really started hunting public land, uh, if I'm uh, honest. But, you know, I just thought I'd give you guys a quick 20-minute digestible type podcast. I did release our Farm Country trail cam video this week on YouTube. Just kind of high level what I kind of learned from running several cams, painting Oh, a real world picture as far as shooters, bucks, what we learned. I had a, actually, it's pretty funny. I had a trail camera, a stealth cam, uh, junk. I would never recommend it to anybody, but it flipped over on the HME mount, but still caught a shooter buck upside down. I mean, we deserve that break from all the messed up trail cams we have run over the years and failures. But honestly, that was really our only fail and we did have some false triggers and i go over a lot of why and and what cameras and kind of just some summary thoughts on that video uh check that out obviously if you're looking to pick up some lone wolf custom gear they're shipping some orders pocket arms double steps and those are getting out right now just because of the process to manufacture those and you know they're actually improving a whole a facility of theirs it, it's getting worked on and and so they're hoping to streamline and, and get stuff faster to customers but if you're looking to pick something up want to save a few dollars wexp at checkout there's a little code area go ahead and enter that guy in another note i have here is a lot of good podcasts in the last week or two uh, just a lot of brands you know ramping it up for season and I like that. I think it's good. Uh, I, I will say I talked to Greg Tubbs tonight, and we're discussing, you know, a lot of people probably have their core four or five podcasts and maybe another handful that are kind of fringe listeners. Uh, and But this week, man, uh, Walt had a good guy on from Florida uh, that killed a public land buck, and he talked about how hard he works to kill good deer in Florida. It, it was a pretty good episode. I, I really enjoyed it. I know... Oh, I just finished the Wired to Hunt with Drury. Um, I just listened to the Deer Hunter working class stuff this week. Oh, uh, Whitetail Legacy podcast had on Mike from uh, Chasing November or Midwest Whitetail. And he tells a pretty cool story and a pretty good BS session, Hunter talk at the end. Um, I know I'm forgetting some. I know Jason Samkoviak had some stuff out there as well I listened to this week. I apologize if I am drawing a blank on something. That, oh, the Hunting Public, they did a gun drive one with Jared Scheffler. And obviously huge fans, Whitetail Adrenaline, love those DVDs and that content. But uh, the level of detail that they were discussing about them drives was fascinating. I really geeked out and Jared said, you know, 20 miles, cumulative miles, whether that be two guys putting in 10 miles or four guys putting in five miles to get a good buck on the ground. And, and that's a lot. And our team does some little deer drives and maneuvers. And I, I discussed with Dave, like, we really need to, to be more calculated and better at that. If, if guys have late season tags 
here in Ohio, like there is, we, we got to step it up, I think. I think we've we kind of always just done a push or two and, and gone home or done some, I, I haven't had a late season tag in a while or a gun season tag. I, I'm a fan of, of still hunting. I, I feel like I have a pretty good skill set there, but it's like, you've got to put in a solid, solid day combination of drives, couple miles. It's not just something you can willy nilly roll out of bed and, and execute. I think if you're going to consistently probably kill good bucks and clearly whitetail adrenaline, they, they're, that's their MO. That's what they do best. So yeah, as far as the team update is concerned, uh, I think Dave is going to pick up his arrows and then we're really trying to ramp up some shooting. I shot every day this week, even if it was just five minutes, you know, I can shoot a handful of arrows in five minutes, but, uh, Andy was shooting a little more. Zoe and I obviously last Saturday pulled our farm country cam, swapped some batteries on that. Uh, so those will still be doing stuff for us in the timber, uh, leading into fall. But I think, yeah, I think getting that in order will obviously have some Kentucky prep because uh, we plan to go. Dave's maybe going a week later, and that's more of a long-term game. We just maybe want to find a piece that in a four- or five-year period, somebody kills a velvet buck, maybe we luck into a buck or two, and, and gives us another option a tad closer to home if we would were to kill an Ohio buck and be looking to hunt out of state for just even a morning, really gonna do a quick pause here gotta sip my water oh I, I uh, was out at the family farm tonight 18 acres and I was putting in a food plot or a kind of a failed attempted food plot my buddy Larry has now oh, kind of coached me through this one trying to put in some clover with some like winter wheat winter rye mix who knows if it's gonna work but uh through some fertilizer, through some seed. Dave helped me clear it out during turkey season. Uh, it's a cool, cool project. I like working on it. I've actually, I'm gonna get to this later in this podcast. I've done a decent amount of timber work out there uh, just because I think the nature of the piece sets up for that. But we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, anything else? Oh, I'm trying one of Dan Bass's uh, rope scrapes that we have i did a quick facebook video several weeks ago listen to the dan bass podcast because i kind of asked him about that and he's probably got some stuff out there on the tyneman channel that mentions how he does it how he sets it up basically taking a rope adding a branch to it for rigidity and you know sturgis is real big on those vertical licking branches and dan just takes it another level i feel with the rope just because that that rope probably holds this the scent of those glands a little better and so i'm pretty excited about that and really i hung a permanent set tonight i did take one stick out of the tree just in case somebody wants to try and steal that 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 xop but uh you know, I'm setting that up for my sister. She's been working at trying to kill a deer for about five, six years now. And we've had some really close encounters, some blown opportunities. Last year, she got cold feet and did a tap dance. and The, the deer blew and ran off. That was literally 15 yards from the stand. Just uh, We didn't realize it was there. Gun season. Oh, she gets... Uh, we sit real cold morning, sit all the way until 10 o'clock. Uh, we climb down as we climb down six does come up and over the hill and, and I'm elevated about two sticks high and I can see them all and she's on the ground and can't see them and they kind of scurry off nothing happens and oh about five minutes later a neighbor probably shoots one of them 
And so I, I'm telling Liz, I was like, hey, keep an eye up there. You know, they may come back just because obviously somebody just blasted one. Sure enough, minute later, here comes a four point and that would be a perfect. I would be so jacked if Liz shot a four point, even just anything. Like, I, I don't care, but I know she would love it. And sure enough, she's down on the ground and the sun is like at an angle where I'm trying to give hand signals about this four point that is like, 45 40 yards but it's like elevation so she can't see it but i'm like it's right there and she's trying to like shield the sun from her eyes uh just a uh so yeah i'm really hoping that the the family land can can produce for her it's uh it, it has does it just does not have necessarily the caliber of buck i'm after but i think that leads me into today's kind of topic and, and looking at some small farm hunting it's uh, something even Andy May does, who's a well-known DIY guy. I think everybody can dabble in anywhere from five to 40 acres is kind of what I'm labeling a small farm. Uh, my hunting mentor, Wade, hunts a small piece uh, that he lives on. And, you know, I started hunting a, oh, it's Alonzo's mom's piece. It's, it's a 20-acre farm, but it, it's six, six to eight acres of timber really good stuff though i mean it's a thicket bedding habitat uh rabbits love it so, so you know deer can like it but it's not exactly fully huntable but i used to hunt there in college and i literally had like i think i had one ladder stand my dad bought me for my birthday 15 footer and then i had a climber and so like i'd hunt like three to four trees i'd kind of play the wind but i'd hunt there every sunday and it was a bedding it's kind of a bedding area and i'd literally like stomp in there hang my stand and be like oh saw a few deer tonight and I, I just you know never saw any bucks uh really in college i saw one deer from a uh, drink from a pond i take that back i did see a buck do that but you know then i started to evolve my craft and i started hunting more public land i started um i uh, you know that's that's kind of where i cut my teeth really was starting to hunt some public in college and and then bounce around after college and really run around with Dave on some public. And so I wouldn't hunt Zoe's piece as much. And we noticed then, you know, Wired to Hunt's out and he's really big on tiptoeing. And sure enough, applying that strategy on that farm, I went and saw way more deer, saw, started seeing more bucks, better bucks. It was a night and day difference, just the tiptoe style hunting on that piece and to be honest i really learned probably the most important lesson about small piece hunting is the best thing you can do is not hunt it you know it's funny to to think of it that way but not hunting is is just as important as picking your your opportunity and your drone strike and i've i've just seen it time and time again and, and a guy like justin hollandsworth is big on that i think he killed his deer off like five acres three acres of timber this year and just timing is everything and obviously this it's a lesson i've learned on this piece here the where i was tonight at the family 18 it's something that you can't hunt it every weekend and, and hunting it october 10th on a 70 degree day not a good idea for the most part unless you have some real big clue i do have one area that that could be a a, a couple good buck bedding type areas and that's just because a year over year history i've kicked a buck off of this ridge a few times i shot a buck and and wounded him and he ran to this like blow down uh bluffy edge you know and discovered it really from tracking and 
And so, yeah, my family farm and even Zoe's piece, one of the biggest things you can do is just not hunt it and almost play the rut game. Let your does get comfortable. I've got neighbors that hunt right around me out here and uh, I'm gathering their does that they've kind of pissed off a time or two, you know, hunting early October. And I really hope they don't listen to this podcast by all means. But, um, oh, another thing is is limited intrusion. So so when I would go hunt, you know, this the family piece, I like to go in maybe for an all-day sit. If I, if, I had, if I don't hunt it in October and I'm going in November time frame, why not go go an all-day sit? Because that's just less, less foot traffic that I'm leaving if I come out for lunch and then back down or whatever. It, uh, it really sets up well for the rut. It's got a couple nice pinches, and I've got two... My neighbor's got another doe bedding, but I play off the best access into it. But I've got two areas that kind of hold does, better thickety type stuff. um, And I'll get to some of the stuff I've done. But sometimes it's a fringes game, I feel. You you know, I don't... I used to think of the 18 acres, okay, I've got to have six stands or multiple stands, blah, blah, blah. And really, like, you know, I, I let the deer have a solid hillside that's probably seven to ten acres you know, that, that is kind of a sanctuary effect. And I've got about three good ambush points. I can, I do, I, I sometimes will mobile hunt my piece just based on what I've seen the deer do, or if a tree falls down and they seem to be working an area and I'm off with the, uh, I, right now I have one, I just hung an XOP tonight and then I've got a metal ladder section, oh, on what I call, oh, down in this like, downwind to doe bedding meets a hog back a really good area uh for the rut and i I, i've had success there but you know that's actually you know that's a a good aspect too i've got a note here about going in early you know if you're hunting a small piece and, and you're going in for a morning hunt you you know you better be early and you don't have to beat like it's generally an easier hunt so so i'm already getting up early for the public game might as well just get in early uh, on my piece. But back to the uh, metal ladder segment. Sorry for jumping around there. I, I didn't finish my note, but like kind of a, a nice thing because I have some of these mobile lighter tree stands. I can buy those cheaper sticks occasionally. I've done this and left like a 20 foot section with no stand at the top. I can come in that morning and just hang a stand, no, no sticks, and be up relatively quick and easy and super, you know, I didn't have to spend the money on a stand there. Uh, you know, guys that, you know, are looking to, and you, you get the benefit of hunting out of an XOP or, or a lone wolf custom gear or a lone wolf or, you know, those better aluminum platforms, uh, adjustability as far as the, the angle and the pitch and, uh, no noise. Like, you know, you can, you, you can make a little noise, maybe climbing into your stand and then you're set and you're on that, that nice tree stand for the rest of your hunt. Oh, I have a thing that Kevin Vistason has talked about on his podcast and I'm not sure I'm not sure where I heard it I think it was on Kevin's podcast or maybe Mark Kenyon's and I've applied it and seen it work firsthand but the leaf blower trick or the chainsaw trick and the thought is if you are checking a trail cam and I don't have an ATV I should say that Uh, I don't have uh, never spent the money uh, never just never took the plunge. I think if my piece was a touch bigger, I would do it. At this point, I see an e-bike in my future. I just, I think that would be my route to go at this point because I could use it 
uh, multiple places. Storing an e-bike looks a lot easier than storing a four-wheeler. Uh, I live near a big metro park that I could, you know, ride it up there and then run and then ride it back to the house. So yeah, TBD. But leaf blower trick or chainsaw trick. And the thought is, if I am going to say check a trail camera, maybe I got to hang a stand, whatever. Firing up that leaf blower, letting that gas engine noise and, and, and smell notify those deer. You know, you could have a deer bedding 400 away, 400 yards away, and they hear that chainsaw running, so they know. Um, you know, if they get on their feet and are browsing around, they're not going to like stumble into you if you're kind of silent sneak mode. But they also have heard you run that chainsaw or leaf blower for 20, 30 minutes. So if they pass by there in the dark and they smell gas, they go, oh yeah, that guy was over here. And the thought is he's left now. I don't have to associate whatever that guy was doing with danger. He wasn't, he wasn't sneaking around, setting up a tree stand, trying to kill me. And now I've just got this random ground scent that I didn't know about. So I think that, you know, I think there's something to that trick. Um, I don't know. I, I, well, I can take that back. I have visibly, seen a deer while carrying my leaf blower and letting it run. I've been running it for 30 minutes. This deer was probably 75 to 100 yards in this bedding area, uh, kind of by the road between me and the truck. And I had been jacking around with, with two trail cameras for about 10 minutes, eh, five minutes, seven minutes, and was walking back to the truck carrying the leaf blower. And I watched this deer browsing, look back over its head nonchalantly during season and let me, uh, he kind of, you know, she kind of just bounded off, no big deal. Like, and, and then stood there and watched me again and flicked her tail and went back to browsing. Just put a little more distance between me. But she felt with that leaf blower running, I, I was not a threat. I wasn't trying to sneak up on her. And I thought that was cool. So, so I continue to do that if I've got stuff to do out there during season. And even in September, you know, I, I do like to kind of peek at what's going on out there in September. Um, so yeah, it, it's a cool little, little thing. Really, uh, uh, my final kind of couple notes here is uh, the habitat work I've done out on this piece. And, and as far as I've worked a lot on the timber, it's a, it's a timber type habitat. I don't have ag really around me. The, uh, the forester guy says if you're killing kind of 130-ish bucks out there, it's pretty good. But yet if I was 10, 10 miles to the west, I'd be in a real sweet spot. Uh, um, Oh, where the ag meets the timber and, and it's just a, a much bigger class animal over there. I have some friends that have some private and they consistently can get 140s to 160s on trail cam. And, you know, here I am 10 miles away. I, I can't get a 140 in five years and I hunt, I tip to way more than they do. You know, I hunt, hunt that piece way less and I've done way more improvements. They do do some food plots, but um, let's get onto this timber work. So obviously a couple years back I, I actually the state has a program you your forester can come out and give you a plan and an evaluation for free zero cost and then it enrolls you in a tax program for 50 percent off your taxes you know which is that's a nice chunk of change just a couple hundred dollars a year and he gave me some lessons and some some things that, that i should work on and and you know with the goal of deer hunting and, and wildlife in mind. And hinge cuts is obviously, you look those up, there's thousands and thousands of videos, but it's funny, you know, the more the information has gotten out, and if you guys listen to the Land and Legacy guys or, or watch their YouTube channel, um, 
Sturgis is kind of in that realm too, but you know, the, the hinge cutting is only a tool and it, it used to, I feel like, be the only tool and now it's more of just, you know, something you can do where it makes sense and it's not necessarily something to do all over the place. So I have done a little bit of hinge cutting. I have a southern slope and I have strategically dropped uh, maple trees that way and, and trees that I feel comfortable hinge cutting. You know, if it's a giant and I, I don't think I can tackle it, I, I don't worry about it too much. But I love those maple trees that I can cut halfway through and kind of pull over the rest of the way, whether it be like with a monkey climb up or just pull them over regular style. Um, you guys should ask Dave about the maple he about dropped into a house one day. But that's a story for a different day. Um, so yeah, I've really stopped a lot of my hinge cuts. Like I said, I did maples are about the only ones just because I know deer will eat those maple leaves if they, if they get on the, the, the level. Oh, another thing. If you hinge cut or cut a tree with poison ivy on it, deer fucking love poison ivy. Never knew that until I talked to my buddy Larry. Um, so he's a good source of information. Anybody looking to do some habitat work in Ohio, hit Larry up. I can send you his contact info. He's a, an assassin as far as a deer hunter meets a... Uh, uh, a forester. Um, pretty cool balance there. Anyways, I've heard the one-third method, and, and this is something that I've worked on in my timber. I apologize if you can hear my, my bird dog next to me snoring. He's, he's getting old. But the one-third method, it was talked about on the Land and Legacy, and it's pretty easy to remember. It's got a lot of cool information, and it is one-third hack and squirt, one-third clear cut, and one-third hinge cut. And the thought there is just a diversity of things. Starting with the hack and squirt, which is a method, oh, you can use a machete or a hatchet and some herbicide. And generally it's a high glyphosate mix. You can also use Tordon. Tordon's pretty expensive. And I've done, I, oh, Larry's got me doing a, a little different method that seems to be working. but. Hack and squirt is nice because you can do it with hand tools, you know, machetes and, and, and a little pump sprayer, literally just like a, a two gallon or a one gallon pump spray works really well for this. And you can move quickly. That's the other thing. You can literally hack and squirt, oh, beech trees, for example, because beech trees are a cousin of oaks. So they have like, uh, they hold their leaves late. And don't get me wrong, a beech tree is nice in the right location for scrapes, but a beech tree does nothing nutritionally for deer. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna relay this back to my buddy Larry. Um, you know, that's something I had no idea about, I think even one to two years ago. Uh, it's something I have targeted out on my piece. I am, I am hack squirting these, these beaches. Well, I'm kind of girdle squirting is, is kind of the technique. But back to this uh, one third method. So yeah, hack and squirt, you can move quickly. You just, you know, you, you smash into that, that, oh, trunk or whatever, leaving a good gash. Generally, you want to leave it at a downward angle or something that will collect the, the herbicide a little longer. And it does help on bigger trees if you maybe put a better wound in and then maybe sometimes put another one on the other side of that tree. And you want some pretty potent stuff uh, if you're going to go ahead and do the, the hack and squirt, but you don't use a lot of it, so a little bit goes a long way. The next is the one-third is just to clear cut. And this is important because it will produce new sprouts or new shoots off of that stump. And, and you know, so you will essentially cut that thing a foot from the floor 
and, and it will then sprout up. Uh, there's also then the the method of oh cutting a tree down and then spraying the stump because you want that root ball to die underneath and it will produce new shoots and and the land and legacy guys they've got some really good good podcasts if you're into that kind of thing something like you can put anywhere from like oh i'm not even going to quote it but it's like the an open canopy forest has like a hundred to two hundred pounds of food in an acre and with some chainsaw and some some work you can get it to like 500 pounds per square acre um and I think like a clover plot is somewhere like a two, one thousand to two thousand. I think. Eh, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct you guys to their podcast for all those expert facts. But Larry has me doing the this girdle, uh, uh, which a girdle you can do it with a chainsaw or you can do it with hand tools. Is essentially disrupt the bark, make a ring around the tree, um, and generally two rings works a little better. And the thought is that the bark is what transports nutrients from the roots up to the leaves and you disrupt that and if you put two rings in it you've kind of got a security blanket there to make sure no nutrients are going upward the tree then dies sometimes a girdle by itself can take anywhere from three to five years and you also do kind of create a widow maker you know it, it could fall at any time but the, the hope is you know you do that to trees that you don't feel comfortable tackling with the chainsaw Full disclosure, I know a bunch of people that have close calls with chainsaws, accident. Dave knows like three people at his work that have gotten some sort of cut. And like when you when you when you mess up with a chainsaw, that could be a life or death situation. That could be a oh I now no longer have like a, a right hand. Like it's a serious business. So, you know, if I can do stuff with hand tools, I, I kinda like that because I'm also solo out there a lot of times and uh, don't have the best signal if I were to get in a, in a tight situation. So I don't, you know, I'm not the most comfortable behind the chainsaw. I will run it, but uh, I definitely prefer Dave helped me do some stuff for this food plot uh, during turkey season this year. And that was, I really appreciate uh, his help there. So the girdle squirt method, I just take a machete and I literally smack, 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 work my way all the way around the tree, creating a quick ring. This takes me roughly 20 seconds. Then I do it again, uh, like six inches higher, a foot higher, whatever. And, and we're talking a minute on a tree max. And then I take a glyphosate mix. And this glyphosate mix is in a two-gallon pump sprayer. It's, oh, let's call it, you're going to put a gallon in there. You would go half of this 50% glyphosate strong stuff. You can find it occasionally at Home Depot, but your better bet, better price is to get it from like Tractor Supply and then just 50% water in the top of that thing, and it will kill trees. So I girdle, you know, with my machete, and then I just spray that thing, just a good solid spraying on that, and I move on to the next tree. So I've been doing that a lot on my beech trees, and I can tackle some big beech trees that I don't feel comfortable dropping with a chainsaw just because they're so ginormous maybe they got a weird twist in them i'm not 100 percent sure which their way they're gonna fall but essentially it will kill that tree from what i have seen somewhere in the next three to six months uh it's a pretty quick process i have seen it as quick as a like a month later been out on the piece and you can see that there's like a brown section of leaves up and up in the tree that have already started changing because that tree is is going down at that point uh that's about it for like i guess my small piece hunting and and some oh habitat work i've kind of dabbled in you know it's it's not something i, I i'm 
I'm super knowledgeable about, but like being able to identify trees and understanding, you know, deer can eat poison ivy. I mean, that can play into your public land game very quickly if, if you're kind of knowledgeable about timber and, and understand what's going on in the ecosystems. And uh, yeah, my buddy Larry, he, he, you know, he is so good at identifying shrubs and uh, stuff like even like blackberry leaves. Well, blackberries, obviously deer eat the, the, the fruit all summer. But dead of winter, those leaves are very palatable to deer, and he watched uh, old does on his place go in and, and smash these blackberry leaves. So, you know, cool stuff like that to add to your deer hunting arsenal could eventually, you know, lead to some better encounters, some better deer hunting. Um, dude, we are 30 days out. We need to get our stuff together. I did get a new tent for Kentucky I'm pretty excited about. Oh, like a, a Kodiak canvas wall tent. Uh, Jason Sam Koviak had preached those tents to death up in 15 minutes six and a half foot ceiling so you can get dressed in it pretty excited about that piece of equipment other than that i've kind of working in the lobo draw cycle after shooting the same bow for four years took a little adjusting to to kind of find that thing but seems to be shooting pretty good and and uh got the bomar nose button on that thing and and i do think it helps just get into my peep a touch quicker I do, I, if I had more time, I might play with a little bigger peep because I just got to be able to shoot 20, 30 yards quickly. But I think I'm going to wrap this podcast up. I got a little bit left in this drive. I think it's a, it's a quick digestible podcast around the 30-minute mark. Guys, I appreciate you listening. Teen Hard Earned Bucks, we're out.